This is the Educational Triage Podcast. Welcome. We invite you to come along with us on an exploration of interviews, issues, and other exciting and relevant topics in education, especially alternative education. They say alternative education is a laboratory for mainstream education. Why? Well, join us every week and listen in as Philip Summers and I, Tony Hunt, jump in feet first to discuss issues that may affect our classes, students, communities, as well as our teaching. Please subscribe if you enjoy and find relevance in what you experience here. And if you haven't left a quick review, please do. We appreciate your candor and insights so we can improve as we move forward. Now, let's see what's on board today. Welcome back, everybody, to Educational Triage. This is Tony, and I'm joined here with my fellow aviator, Philip. Hey, aloha. How are you doing? I'm doing a little scrudgy. I'm, I'm a little below average physically, feeling like maybe. Uh, it, it is, the, I heard on the news today, it's the darkest day of the year. <laughs> this is, strangely enough, yeah. They said, the, the meteorologist said he could do the math and he could put it on, he, he had, but he's not going to do it on the air, but it's the, like the shortest day of the year. But, I thought that know. was the 21st. Yeah, that's what everyone thinks. But apparently, you're not mistaken, people. Today was dark and short. <laughs> At least short. But, yeah. Oh. But anyway, oh. I, I was, I'm a little, my physically, I think maybe, you know. So I, I work in schools, you know. <laughs> yeah, but, well, you're in the holiday doldrums, too. Uh, well, yeah, that's too. But and, I went to this really cool celebration in a little downtown area. Mm-hmm. They blocked off the street. And then they had that. The artificial snow that they had at um, Disneyland, which was really fun. Yeah, okay, years ago, we took um, my son to Disneyland as a celebration. I think it was for his graduation. Maybe my daughter. We did it both times. But we got there around Thanksgiving just after. And they were just setting up for Christmas, getting kind of hardcore about it. Maybe before, just before. Anyway, they have this Christmas parade. and At the end of it, it starts to snow. Yeah, it's like really tiny soap bubbles and they don't get too slippery and they don't get gunky and they don't stick much, but it's like snow. Wow. And it's enchanting. And they did the same thing downtown Camas, Washington. And my granddaughter was just despite herself. Just, oh, it's snow. Wow. Just for like 45 minutes, she drew a crowd. She was just enchanted by it. But yeah, so I can't complain. Not much doldrums there. (laughs) It was a really good time. Yeah. Wow. So this evening, though, we're going to talk about education and big business. Yeah, we're going to talk about that. How is education big business? And you're going to lead us off, I believe. Isn't that correct? Well, yeah, I've got I've been thinking a lot about that stuff over the years. Um, So take it away. Yeah. Well, recently I can kind of couch it as so I went back into um what I thought about the commons, I like to call it the commons, and I revisited the tragedy of the commons, you know, how if you take too many fish out of the pond thing, you know, um, mm-hmm. which economically everyone should share it, you know, the resources. And that's not what we're talking about at all. What I was trying to define was what is common to like communities. Like what are things that we pay for collectively? And I know economists mm-hmm. and historians out there would know what that word is and it just escapes me, but 
So collectively, we pay for things like roads because a road is a really expensive thing and I can't afford a road on my own. Right. And yeah, what do I want 10 feet of road for? So um, yeah, we buy roads, we buy infrastructure, you know, water, da, da, da. <laughs> Excuse me. And one of the things that we have come to believe in, well, about the past 40 years, maybe 45 years, is and really understand to believe underpinnings is that capitalism competition and privatization always does better than government. It's just kind of a assumption that people make, you know, like privatization is always better, you know, give that, give that to a business and it'll always do it better, more efficiently and, and, and with least cost. And um, I've never thought that was true. Uh, it never seemed to ring true for me, but I've seen it take hold in America and little by little, you know, we start to kind of see that take hold in places where it shouldn't take hold. And one of the examples is, um, for example, in Detroit, um, the water system was privatized. And when the water system was privatized, being privatized, it was run like a business. And so it needed to keep above and if not keep above its, its running costs, of course, make a profit. In order to do that, it had to raise costs. And when the costs couldn't be met by some of the residents, they shut their water off even though the laws are set up municipally to have that not occur, mm -hmm. they still did it and were never penalized for that. So people living in their homes lost their water and wow. yes. And so that's because you're running the water system of Detroit like a business. Mm -hmm. And so that it's like, it's a privatization sort of thought. And so when you're looking at schools, this is what I'm getting at. I was doing some research on the internet and I came across a firing line from 1982, I believe. And look at here, I wrote it down because it's fascinating. Uh, 86. And on one side was William Buckley, mm -hmm. Mr. Soul, um, Thomas Soul, and um, Milton Friedman. <laughs> and on the other side, yeah, were these three um, gentlemen who um, were, I can't recall their names, I really should, but they were a Stanford um, laureate. Uh, uh, director of public schools, I believe in Pennsylvania and, and another um, very qualified individual trying to defend these schools against these three. And the whole issue was, should public schools be privatized? Mm -hmm. And they came up with the same things that are still coming up with now. Lower income and middle income people will receive the same benefit of choice that that, you know, higher income people enjoy now with school choice. And that competition between schools will raise all boats mm -hmm. and that funding will increase, mm -hmm. not decrease because competition will increase, you know, just all of these things that we've heard over the years, which we've actually known aren't true. And those things have been proven true across like three sectors of the world who took them on Sweden, for example, took on a more privatized approach and it tanked their system. You know, as socialist Swedes, they took on the very privatized approach of school choice and the voucher system and it tanked them. It destroyed the integrity of the education system there. Mm. And so they, they screamed vouchers and school choice. And the, but they did say this in this firing line that the majority of money is being spent on administrators. Sound familiar? <laughs> going, well, yeah. yeah, it is. One administrator takes I mean, they basically pay for usually about two to three teachers. 
Yeah, it's it's really interesting that. And as you go up higher, it, they cover even more teachers. So the more administrators you have, right. the fewer teachers you can actually afford. Yeah. So, so the premise, follow me now. So my thesis is, I think that we're kind of under the impression that privatizing some things always make them better. But I would say some things you do not privatize. And I think education's a big fat one you leave alone. It's a loser. If you're going to invest in a business, education is a big fat loser. And here's one prime example. You can't get rid of bad inventory as a business does in education. There are some kids in that school. Oh my, they, we, we dealt with them. They take the resources of four kids or five kids each, you know, and they're expensive because they're, um, you know, either they've got disabilities with their learning or they need one-on-one -on -one, or they're just disciplinary or the alternative program that I taught in, our kids almost received double funding. In let's some change, let me, yeah. let me jump in and let's requalify. Let's not call it bad inventory. Okay, yes, let's not. <laughs> let's call them people. <laughs> you just have a certain segment of the population. Yes, these are just people. You can't get them out of there. You can't go, well, you know, those, those, those bolts over there, yeah, we don't use them and they don't fit much, just toss them. You know, that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't sell that anymore. It's like, oh, yeah. These, right. But these are kids, you know, so mm -hmm. you have to invest in kids. You got to, there's no telling how much you have to invest. There's a lot of heart in it, but there's not always the same amount of funding in it. And that's because it's, it shouldn't be like a business. Well, business wants to run things efficiently and they like to go with <laughs> yeah. the one size fits all approach. And when you have to do individualized structures, that takes the efficiency out of the workplace and, here, it, here. Makes it, and it makes it far more too focused for them. That, that really drives it home. Yeah. I was in a middle school today and they were trying to make a middle school efficient. It was really something to see. <laughs> it was difficult. How do you make a middle school efficient? Yeah. Well, they've had problems in the halls with kids running and collecting in bathrooms. And so they said, here's how it's going to be. And then as soon as I started walking in the halls after these talks, it was still pandemonious. And I thought, hmm, <laughs> this is really interesting. How are they going to reel these guys in? <laughs> yeah, but you're also you're also in those weeks between Thanksgiving and winter break. Yeah, we've only got how many days before? And this, this is the time when a lot of kids, their whole world is upended because oh. you have the haves and the have-nots. <laughs> you have the kids that are going to be gone for two weeks and they don't have food. They don't have heat. Mm -hmm. They don't know what's going on. They may not culturally connect with everything that everybody else is going on. Um, people are talking about presents and maybe they're not getting any. And, you yeah. know, you just have all kinds of stuff. So, and maybe it's all, we say more. <laughs> there's, there's even a lot of sugar in their diet. There's a lot of shortcuts and meals, a lot of running around, mm -hmm. um, trying to get people places or there's a lot of stress. There's some people missing from some people's lives and that makes that makes it for, you know, a little tough. Yeah. You know, holidays always bring up that even if you've had a really great life you know, that, gee, I wish grandma was here. You know, there's that natural cycle of life and getting together. and It's dark outside. So people tend to be on the more oh, lamenting side. Yeah, they're sentimental. They do miss their loved ones more. It's a lot yeah. harder to miss your loved one when you're having a grand old time in July and it's really hot. And, you know, oh, the there's water. so much more to do. Yeah. You know, you're not you just make more toast to your deceased <laughs> relatives yeah. than you do. Uh, let's <laughs> <toast to them. laughs> yeah. However. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. 
Well, I was just saying, you're really making those direct connections that, you know, businesses can't concern themselves with, Mm -mm. you know, there's a cold hearted capitalistic, you know, survival of the fittest, by the way, was written by Darwin under, you know, he was a great admirer of Malthus and Malthus was like, he was really a hardcore, you know, economist of competition Mm -hmm. and competition comes kind of out of the life cycles of humanity that came from sort of the oppression of the churches and the rulers and the kings. And so when the capitalist idea of, you know, um, the individual can come forward and be exceptional on their own and that the individual holds their own virtues and their own, their own fate, say, you know, their, their own um, path before them. That's where capitalism kind of came into being in humanity. And it's been the sort of the way it's been, except now we're into more of a mode where we're trying to think about less nationalist sort of this nationalist sort of capitalist. It's they didn't mix because capitalists said the individual and then the nationalist sort of one before it where kings, rulers, states were more over kind of over them. But there's a conflict mm-hmm. there. So the new the new wave would be trying to take care of the environment. But that capitalist strand that we all have in ourselves, you know, like competition, survival of the fittest. Mm-hmm. That's new, but it's only new since the advent of, you know, owning factories, owning the means of production and, and making that wage capital deal that we make. You know, someone owns it and then they they make a barter for your wage and say, OK, I'll you make my product. I'll give you this much per week. Well, it's also part of the bartering system. And so it's mm-hmm. I mean, the bartering system also worked in people's favors. Otherwise, nobody would want to do it. Right. But, you know, like the whole myth of like self-made billionaires, there's only like 600 billionaires in America. I mean, yeah. the self-made billionaires came mostly from government. There's a lot of government subsidies of Tesla, SpaceX, a lot of government money in SpaceX. Well, if it you're wasn't smart, t- yeah. most any business knows you go for where you can get the money you and, bet. because you need the venture capitalists. You need to have the yeah. money investing in you. But we, A lot of people don't know that. They think Elon is, you know, he's like the dude. You know, oh, well, he's a self-made millionaire. No, he wasn't. He came from South Africa, emerald and gems and investments and things. Yeah. He started right. with from family money. But he wouldn't yeah. be anybody unless he had come up with well, these well, ideas that, and been able yeah. to put those in. Because it you've got to be lightning. dynamic yeah. enough. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's not enough to come up with the ideas and be smart enough to be, because he is an engineer. Well, yeah. I'm not going to defend a billionaire, but none of us are going to become one. I well, wouldn't want to either. Well, you don't know that. There's oh, always, I totally know. I can't be one. There's always the lottery. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's right. There is a way to make like 50 or 100 bucks, isn't there? I don't do uh, it because I can't. Gambling to me is like, I might as well just walk up to a stranger and go, here's 50 bucks. At least now you'll have a good time. <laughs> it's like, because it, I don't get a charge out of gambling at all. Yeah, but, yeah. I don't get a charge out of it every once in a while. I get it. I get it. I get like an itch in my shorts and I go in and I do it. So. But I never win. You know, it's like, well, yeah. that? I might as well give it five bucks. I think once I won two bucks. Yeah. I won a quarter in a machine in Vegas and it, and I won 20 bucks in quarters and it took me like a day and a half to lose it all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stopping randomly and pumping the machine. Anyway. But yeah. Anyway, <laughs> back on track. And that back was on an track. educational convention. He did have the education. He does have the skills. He does have the foresight. He has he the has vision. publicity. That's for He's, sure. He, well, not before he didn't really. And so well, we he, he he knew how to make the connections and he knew how to economic work superhero. With those, 
work with those in order for that to happen, yeah. but that's neither here nor there. Let's get back to education and business yeah. and Ooh, the interesting. education the, and business. In 2020, the educational industry. Yeah. <laughs> and this Ooh. does not include the testing services was worth over $1.1 trillion. Mm, there's gold in that Denver Hills. Huh? By 2028, that will grow by 4.5%, I think I read. And it should be worth over $2.3 something like that. Now, there, there are different factors, but that includes Cisco Systems. That includes Zoom and Google Meets and Google and a lot of other yeah. things. It also includes the textbook industry. Yeah. Um, and now that everything is, you know, we have a lot of stuff online, but then you take a look at a lot of the other businesses and how they've infiltrated into the school system. Look at Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola is in the school system. You have, if you have vending machines, um, usually those are run by Coca-Cola or Pepsi or somebody and you run an exclusive so nobody can buy the competing product. That happens, yeah. And um, I remember us talking about that in meetings. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> even even the candy, even the candy. Oh, so you have to be very careful. <sighs> you have to know what those products are. So if you go out to Costco or something to pick stuff up, you got to know whether or not you're. I remember that. Yes, we could not buy. You can't buy Pepsi products. We have, we have a Coke machine or something. Is the thing. right? Oh yeah, right. And that was district wide, which kind was, of, I didn't know that. Well, see, well, see, <laughs> in my program, we didn't have vending machines because we were a one room schoolhouse. So when we went out mm. to buy stuff, there was never a connect. Yeah, I can imagine from that site, nothing. Yeah. Yeah. So, but if you think about what is their intent and their intent in, um, coming into the educational space is make a profit. Well, Google just introduced all of that nifty free stuff that was basically what Windows was offering in Office. And everyone thought it was just the cat's meow. And they were doing that to get everyone to use it and undermine Office. And I was watching that happen going, you guys, this has got limits and they're like, oh, we love it. And I'm like, wait a minute, they're doing it free to get you to use it. And pretty soon now Google is everywhere. Log on with your Google ID on many a site. However, <laughs> Apple was doing the same thing. Oh, sure. Yeah. Apple was running all kinds of deals. Microsoft was running all kinds of deals. They all do it. They, they all do it. it. Yeah. I can't believe how Google did it so well, though, because mm -hmm. there were some problems with some of those. But yeah. But then you also look at Odyssey, where you look at Edgenuity, you look at oh, a yeah. lot of the other online that came on um, their profit margins soared over the pandemic. Yeah, I bet they did. And I, in a, I was in a, yeah, well, I was in a meeting today yeah. and they were talking about, well, the pandemic really forced a lot of schools to become alternative educators. And they had to really sort of jerry rig and, and figure things out so that they could become more alternative. And I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, not where I was. They just threw everybody on the computer and told them that they were going to learn via the computer. Yeah. And they uh, didn't would, have a choice. And the I teachers would, didn't yeah. have a choice. Wow. So the teachers became more classified. 
than anything. I would actually argue to the extreme opposite. I would say that the the pandemic broke a lot of us and some of us in a lot of ways. And then I think there was that talk of when things get back to normal, I wish things would get back to normal. I'll get things back to normal. And then when the schools came in, some of them got back to normal really too quickly, like um, Clark County, Nevada, Vegas mm-hmm. area. They really went back um, back into class hard and fast as, as soon as they could. And the backlash was really, really bad. And so, you know, they had to really kind of come back off that. And so I think a lot of people sort of kind of disregarded how bad the pandemic was. I don't think there was, but I think you're right. When they did come back, they were trying to make it like normal again, and it's not working. Well, here's here's what a lot of people don't want to do. And that is they don't want to do a self-reflection. They don't, Hmm. I hate to say it, but sometimes our brains become fat and lazy. They do. Well, they and, yeah. and, you know, they just become so used to ticking along the same track that having to come up with another way of doing things is seen as stressful. And if you don't have somebody to do it with or if somebody else that you're doing it with is an Eeyore, um, it's, and what you really need is a mental tigger, you know, or a kangaroo or a roo or somebody else, even Piglet would work or even a poo, but not an Eeyore, then you have a real problem. Yeah, but once it's hard. You get, right. But once you are able to start collaborating with other people and come up with your own ideas and, you know, um, I'm just going to throw teachers pay teachers is out there. And those are teachers yeah. that have already done these things. And if you listen to podcasts like Jennifer Gonzalez and, um, and just get that stuff where she talks so broadly about different kinds of curriculum and different resources that are out there. It really helps you so that you can start looking and finding the freshness in your class. But but are we able to do that anymore? I mean, I I used to have so much freedom and I was so productive. In fact, getting corporations into schools, Intel even granted me a a nice little prize once for being innovative educator in science. Mm Mm-hmm because I had so much fun doing it. I could never do what I did to get that, that award ever. I mean, I don't think there's any, anybody who could ever do anything to get that award because the, anybody to get that award had to do something that was innovative and you can't innovate anymore. It's I think clamping down. And I knew that was the end when toward the end of my career, when, like I said, you know, when they said, why don't you use textbooks? And I didn't realize that wasn't a question. That was a directive. <laughs> I answered it bluntly. I'll never use textbooks exclusively. I was told I was told <laughs> I needed to use textbooks by yeah. by and I said fine. And I went through and I wrote the curriculum using the textbooks because they determined that what we were doing wasn't quite good enough even though yeah. the kids learned more from the materials that I was giving them about the subjects that we were doing mm-hmm. and they got out of the materials because it was more applicable and it wasn't just reading work and copying down everything, but that was what they wanted. So they could measure it. I let, that's exactly what it, that's the yeah, problem. but it's, a, 
it's a real sloppy measuring. It's a terrible measure. It measures a, a, a plate. How, every 16-year-old is the same by this test. If you look at the premise of the test, it's like absurd to stop and take a snapshot of academic achievement at the age of 16 or 17 or 15. It's a sophomore, is it not? Grade 10? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I was just scramble brains in grade 10. I don't think I knew if it was Thursday or Friday. Well, I knew if it was Friday, that's for sure. But I sure didn't know if it was Tuesday or Wednesday. I was completely confused all the time. Measured my intelligence. It would have been like off some scale somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where. Yeah. And so they go, well, our students aren't learning. It's like, well, they're learning, but they're not learning that. So mm -hmm. let's find out what they're learning, how they're learning, and let's get them to learn, you know, in good ways and well, effective ways, the good things. Well, <laughs> just a few weeks ago, we had our, during our last series, um, there were the two, there was the two episodes on curriculum. And basically, if you know your curriculum and you know how to get it, and yeah. if you have more enthusiasm for it, then the kids aren't doing just all this book work, which well, doesn't really get them anywhere. But they can yeah. do something where they can do projects. They can be investigating. They can look at things. Um, when we did science, I had them come up in on teams with things. But the first thing that we did with science was we I had them do the um, nasty breath experiment. <laughs> and that's where they would be on teams and they would be given garlic. They would be and I can't remember what the other two things were, but they were given these things and then they had to design an experiment that would take that breath, whatever those breaths, and then they were given uh, Listerine strips. They were given different kinds of breath fresheners, and they would have to measure which ones were most effective. And so the majority of them had it all done within 40 minutes. And so I said, turn everything in. And um, when you're done with your break, you come back. And then I passed them out to everybody, and I said, you all failed. And they said, why? And I said, because you didn't follow through with what you needed to do. And so that's how they, that's when everything came together for them to be able to structure. And mm -hmm. that's how they learned how to put together an experiment and how to get to everything. And they learned how to measure everything. So then later on, they came up with their own experiments. One of the, that one group hadn't said that we were, their hypothesis was that because they looked at things and they said that we are going to have we are in danger of flooding again, as we did in 1996. Mm -hmm. And so they put all the materials that they could together. They collected rainfall data. They did all kinds of stuff and they had they put everything together. And so we had some others that did that. They're not going to get that from a textbook. No. And that's far more important than most of what they're going to be getting in a textbook because they learned how to do the measurements and they worked with each other on it. So it was very collaborative. It was very widespread with all of them. And there was a lot more learning going on without them having to say, yeah, this is what we had to do in school. It's what we got to do in school. And that's the learning model. You know, everyone hails Finland. Hail Finland, they're great, the education system. They go to school less hours. That's right. Um, but they do that kind of stuff. The reason they do is while they're at school, they're into their work. You know, they're 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 cracking mm -hmm. data. They're 
they're dividing up the work. They're doing some meaningful stuff and they're learning really well. Mm-hmm. And it's not tedious. Uh, it's, it's just some, some of it's so tedious. And I just, I figure it this way and you really fleshed it out. If a student is bored and they're not learning, that's my fault. It's that, that makes me a bad teacher. And it doesn't if, make you a bad teacher. If, well, I look at it this way. If I'm in charge of the curriculum, you say, I got these many students, you give me a reasonable amount of students and say, you can teach, here's what they know, you know, here's their basic ability, right. you do a teach what well. you want to do. And if they're not getting it, if they don't, you know, then it's my fault because I can teach. But if I'm given like a textbook or something, I can know, I can still do it. It's a little bit harder, but I should make it interesting. If it's the same stuff over and over, like from generally from a textbook, it's not me anymore. And that's the problem. It's not you or me. It's a textbook. Then we're not teaching. It's not a craft. There's no art. There's no art in delivering a a written word from a page. Anybody can read. No. Which is why, yeah, para para educators are being used a lot now. Well, what I didn't understand, and I still don't, because this started coming in many years ago with the scripted teacher. Yeah, where they would have classes and you were told you will read this to the students and they will do this. And so basically the kids became programmed modules. Uh, And I could not understand why. And the district is like, we spent X number of thousands of dollars on this. You will do it. And I'm thinking you wasted the money by giving it to me because I'm not going to, I'm, I'm going to do it my own way. No, you must read it verbatim. And the kids are sitting there and they're just, no. WTF are you doing? It kills authenticity. They it kills the creativity. Yeah. When I was in university, I was studying creative dramatics and um, this, you know, the big question that we had was why do we kill curiosity and imagination in students when they come to school because it's deviant that's not deviant that's where that's why elon musk is where he is it's because no he's able to imagine and put things down well yeah but he's not in school yeah because this i want everyone to obey i want that i want you to read this so they get that information and they get these scores back on the tests not do it and anything off that that track is a deviation. And so if you get one kid in the back goes, I'm not gonna do that. If you're gonna if you don't read it, that's a deviation. And so yeah, that's why it's So it's all about compliance. It's absolutely about compliance. It's about so it's about it's, somebody trying to control or or a system trying to control. I think that's what our system tries to do by saying to privatize education is the absolute most absurd premise ever. Well, I don't it's think it's a about business. Pri- <laughs> it's not about privatization of business. I mean, Horace Mann had this down when he wanted us to go in and we started from the Persian form or not the Persian, but the. Um, what were they called? The, the Germans, Prussian. Oh, the Prussian, Prussian model. Oh, you, I thought you were going all the way back to like Socrates. I'm going, wait a minute, no. Persia. Wait, well, he's one no, ancient, Socrates. ancient. That's Think kind about, of modern, the Prussian. Okay. Consider how Socrates taught though. No, yeah, it's very, yeah. Very different. And yeah. so Horace Mann and these people, yeah. the Jacksonian school of thought was, yeah. 
the kids will go in there because we need to create little workers. Yeah, yeah. So because competition, you know, will create right. the best system. So competitors who win create the best thing. Right. So that's what we are doing. Now, there were some businesses that came in. There was one in Texas with a furniture company and they they gave kids free schooling. I believe that this is what happened. They had the kids go in and they would work in the factory and then they go back to school and they do their things to teach them skills on how to Mm work in a furniture factory. Well, the problem is, is that nobody ever got any money for the work that the kids did. And what the furniture factory got was free labor. And so when they <laughs> caught on, <laughs> that kind of went by the wayside. Well, that, yeah, that's part of the Amazon, yeah. Amazon, Amazon took over a school and they taught the kids how to be in the warehouse and the different jobs in the warehouse and how to do all these different pieces of working for Amazon. So, you know, we have, we have, and and I have to give them credit for being innovative in in getting free labor. We do have a school here in Portland um, where the kids they go and they have to show up, and it's for um, socioeconomic low socioeconomic deprived um, students who fit the who fit the category, and it's extremely popular. Portland tried to copy it. Um, PPS did because it goes with one of the Catholic schools, but the, Mm. the boys, it's all boys. And I don't know if there's one for the girls or if it's co-ed yet, but they show up to school wearing a, wearing a coat and tie and white shirt. All these are provided for them Mm. and they have to show up as though they're going to go to work every single day. They're partnered with a business where they go and they job share with other students in their class and that business pays their tuition. So is there a gain? Yes, because mm. because they, you know, the kids are getting their education and it's been proven extremely successful. And the well, kids have done very, very well. Um, you know, there are ways to partner with businesses. My last program, we were very successful with partnering with businesses where the kids would go in there and sometimes they said, I feel like a slave. And it's like, well, is if this isn't what you want to do for the rest of your life, because you're only there for two or three hours a day. Well, yeah, well, yeah, these are like more, we're not talking about partnerships per se. Right. We're talking about just overall ways of thinking about education and, right. and the effects it has on it. You know, so that like it's it, actually it's shortcomings. You know, mm-hmm. the way like we, we spoke about, like the, the uh, standardized testing and you know, every must be the same at, at, at the output of it. They must be able to do this by 18. Right, but they're using the pushing they're, of the college all the time. I see that constantly. Right. But the but the testing is so artificial because it yeah. only goes for one kind of yeah. mean. Yeah. You know, like the fish that can't climb the tree. Yeah. It measures that. It measures one thing and one thing only. And so if you're that. Thing that needs not to be measured by that standardized testing you're kind of out of luck but yeah right so with businesses pushing education um there are there believe it or not but there were actually school districts that forbade teachers from buying any materials off of teachers pay teachers really yes they said that they would not be reimbursed, that they were disallowed from being able to do that. Oh, they wouldn't. Oh, that's see, there's another economic sort of thing, because that's more of a collective. Yeah, Teachers helping teachers. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exactly. like a curriculum share. Yeah. And teachers know. 
I yeah, mean, I and know that's, what I'm looking for. And you know, and Jennifer Gonzalez, she runs seminar, she runs classes yeah. during the summer, and they're great classes. I did, I was there for her first one, and it was wonderful. She does an incredible job. You learn a lot. You meet people all over the country, and right. it's really kind of a fun thing to do. Well, yeah, yeah, if you just look at the whole lot, it's worth the money. This, you know, 1986 firing lights, Milton Friedman, for goodness sake, is mm -hmm. advocating for the privatization with the same arguments. You know, well, I can't believe that Thomas Sowell would do the same thing. Oh, he was quite convincing. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> holy cow, you guys. It, because now we had in hindsight, we can see it's a failed system. You know, it, it just really is a failed system. But it's identical. Where, I mean, the where problems you are still vouchers, You just destroy the system. It's just, it's been done. It was done in Chile, too, with Pinochet, actually. And this was where really? it was tested by the neoliberals in Pinochet, when Pinochet was there. Uh, the guy who liked to torture people. But anyway, any. He was um, there. Oh, he gave on. everyone vouchers. Yeah, well, he had a soccer stadium for that. And um, <laughs> gave him vouchers, and it destroyed the system. It was absolutely horrible for the system. Except now we have the magnet schools, which is probably a better choice for students. Yeah, there's that. It, we just we have to watch that business can do better attitude. It really, that old well, you know, competition and the business attitude is magnet not schools the way aren't, to go. Magnet schools aren't necessarily around. No, they're not. They're not. And and private schools aren't either, in fact. No, they're all open... nonprofit. Yeah. And, and most and, um, of them, majority of them, I'm going to say 90%, 95, 98% are, are, are private nonprofit. I, I worked on a whopping total of one, but I know <laughs> the headmaster, as he said, as he was uh, named, was always looking one eye toward fundraising, the big spring get together, the thing mm -hmm. was going to, and it's parent relations. Mm -hmm. things like that so uh yeah it was a good school though that really student-minded and i thought back on it just today and i thought yeah they had it right they they really were concerned about the students and the students knew it there you go again they mm -hmm. knew it yeah it's a good it's, it's well good when the students are validated when the teachers are validated yeah when everybody feels like it's not, I have to be at work by this time. Yeah. I get to be at work. I get to go to work. When I taught in the one-room schoolhouse, people mm -hmm. said, what do you do for a living? I said, I have the time of my life. Yeah. When I taught I in the one-room schoolhouse, it was the same thing. And they said, what do you do? And I said, I teach a bunch of fifth graders with whiskers. <laughs> it's like that's, I, I could never I, explain mine because there was anything from a teen parent to a literally a gangbanger you know with mm -hmm. tattoos it's like it's hard to explain right and see <laughs> yeah. what i had kids who came from homes where this i had a student who'd never heard of toilet paper oh well <laughs> and yeah yeah i i don't remember Hence him the need for pre-assessment <laughs> i had another yeah, kid I, I had another kid who's um who's Parents thought it was kind of cool when he was an infant to dose his bottle with different kinds of drugs. Ooh. And so, you know, we had a lot of a lot of abuse, a lot of weird stuff that happened. And some oh, of the nicest goodness. and sweetest kids in the world. And, um, you know, it, it, it just kind of tugged at your heartstrings a lot of times. And yeah. you worked with them when you could, but there wasn't a whole lot that you could do outside of just teaching them. But when we taught, we had a wonderful time. So it was a safe space for them to fail. It was a safe space for them to 
become themselves and actually explore doing what they were doing. They, they liked coming to school for the most part. Well, in a lot of ways, it was like the one thing in their lives that was sort of stable, consistent, mm -hmm. and things, they achieved things in, in little ways, big ways, but the little ways was the way it was working. It took them a while. Right. And it was welcoming. <laughs> it was. But we didn't have, you know, we had partnerships, but big business didn't come in there until the district forced us to have the bloody textbooks. That was it. The textbooks and then the testing. Mm -hmm. um, and then just all... that focus on administration down, like they gave you the script. I can't believe anybody ever gave me a script. I would, I would always refuse to use it. Here's the funny thing. The year before they forced me to use textbooks, every one of my kids that did the state testing exceeded <laughs> in mathematics, in writing, and in science. And I could not believe it. I was so jacked. I said, oh, my gosh, I'm doing something right. And then I was told, yeah, now you have to use textbooks. And I thought, why? 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 It makes no sense. Yeah. But it's because because the district says that they spent all this money, so they all need to be doing the same kind of thing. And it's all about compliance. Somebody made a decision somewhere, and you got to wonder where. And I think that I think that decision was made with a business mind, not an educator's mind. It was, and um, it and was the problem. It was the superintendent, mm -hmm. and who I did not. I I tried. Apparently, there were many attempts by his office to get in touch with me, and I was able to safely avoid that. Um, because he wanted to talk to me about some other stuff. But that one and the one that is currently there now were probably the two most vile. Can I say that? Can I say superintendents are vile? The yeah. two most vile entities that invaded that district and actually did so much infection and so much damage. So, um, but they are both, they're both, I, I swear that they're getting kickbacks somehow. Well, you know, I, I, it may well be. I mean, that's how business works, isn't it? Right. You know, a lot of decisions are made on the golf course. And I don't well, see any students on the golf course. <laughs> I don't see any. I didn't see any superintendents on the golf course either. I've seen superintendents on running courses. <laughs> I have. I was doing an ultra marathon once, and he was on it there, too. Oh, wow. Funny. Yeah. And wow. Yeah. He's, there, he was a very diplomatic guy. But, but yeah, getting back, out he did that. but getting back, okay, one point one trillion, and let me see if I can find the names of these. Uh, it's just incredible, isn't it? <laughs> well, yeah. So it, let me. It's big business, and that's the thing. It shouldn't be. It the money's being spent, but it's not being spent on the students. I'll tell no. you one thing. Here's what's happening, in my humble opinion. If you have, for example, the Detroit situation where. They ran the water department like a business, and then they just cut people off of water in their homes when they didn't pay their bills, things like that, um, because they rose their water rates on them because they were running a business and things weren't going too well for them. So in any case, with the schools, what happens is I think is it's not shutting the water so much off, but we shut down the quality little by little. We kind of take a brick mm -hmm. out of that big wall we had. And I think what's happening is now I'm hearing a lot of talk about teacher shortage, this and that. 
and I'm actively looking for a teaching job. I'm thinking I want to get back full time and, and there are none. I'm, I'm looking, but there are no real certified teaching positions open. If there's a big shortage, where are those jobs? Now, there are a lot of paraeducators. And when I go to schools, they're always crying for teachers to sub. And paraeducators are filling in. And sometimes they're going without teachers in classrooms. But they're not hiring, per se. At least not on the open market that I can see. So what I can say is, yeah. I think what's happening is, the education system, we all know this, is failing little by little by little. But the water is still trickling through the faucets. It's like, we're not investing enough money in our education system. They're saying there's a teacher shortage, yes, but we made the connection as a public and then hire more teachers. But somewhere in there, there's not enough infrastructure or cash to hire those teachers. So they're making do without, and that's damaging the system. And the system gets damaged year by year by year with that attitude of a business approach instead of investing you know, like we said, and the kids that are kind of the losers, you know, the kid that t takes the double funding there, they, they're, you know, it's, it's a kind of an up and down profession. You know, if you don't mm -hmm. do that, you're going to suffer. And I think that's what we're doing. I think that the public education system is long since broken. It just has been patched up with enough duct tape, and whatever, you know, scotch tape and, glue to just hold enough water to look okay but i think it's long since broke real broke and it we think it's just fine we complain about all the symptoms but the patient is dead i think that's my humble opinion who's the patient then i i think that public education needs to be freed from the bounds of of certain mind, minds that say it should be like competition, you know, the best schools, taking funding away from schools that weren't reaching tests and under no child left behind, penalizing the losers. <laughs> In what realm is penalizing the loser children going to help them? It just forced them out of the system. And then charter schools moved into the neighborhoods. Mm -hmm. It was really a terrible thing. And it, it, it was really backward. We need to really reinvest in schools, really look at them, stop building them so big, stop, stop fitting kids into one size fits all. Well, stop that makes looking no at it as profit and loss and start looking at it as kids and whole lives. We have the wrong attitude. We don't look at it long range. These are people. Yeah. Well, exactly. But as long as you have policymakers who don't know what they're talking about, making the policies for exactly. them. When you have administrators who maybe taught two years in a school in their entire 30 some odd years of education. Or, or none. I know one of the, mm -hmm. the curriculum instruction guy, none, zero, not one day in a classroom. How does right. somebody like that tell me what to teach with? Okay. So anyway. I'm going to tell you who the key players are for the $1.1 trillion in 2020 and the market value of $2.3 trillion in 2028. Uh, yeah. It would be the Wall Family Enterprise, mm. Cisco Systems, EduComp Solutions Limited, Desire to Learn, Blackboard Inc., Pearson PLC, AWE Acquisition Inc., Sum Total Systems Inc., Tata Interactive Systems, Smart Technologies, ABCMouse.com, Saba Software Inc., Promethean Inc., McGraw-Hill Education, NIIT Limited, Adobe Systems Inc., and Elucian Company. Those are the top players. 
Well, business is good in schools. <laughs> and it if they're is. public schools, where's that money going? You know, the same thing's happening in the military too. Public money is going to private contractors and research and development as far mm -hmm. as like, yeah, it goes into like uh, drugs, especially, you know, the development of drugs is pu was pri publicly funded and then the profits are privately kept. It's like, what are we doing? Why do we do this to ourselves? We just, well, that revere, the we revere the capitalists so highly that they can do no wrong while they just pick our pockets. Well, that's because they invest heavily into the candidates. Yes, it is so true, isn't it? Uh, we've just got to realize that the, now it's getting into where our kids are. You know, okay. Okay. So we got to wrap up. Let's. So what is your, what are your words of wisdom? Because we kind of bounced all around the court on this one. Well, um, I think yeah, my words of wisdom are stop trying to apply the principles of competition and capitalism to everything. Um, there are some things that it doesn't apply to, like common good, um, protection, uh, you know, the public welfare, schools, fire, medical. You know, we all know that privatizing medical in the United States doesn't work. It's expensive and ineffective. Somebody's getting really rich. Those people, there are a few of them, and they're getting richer and richer all the time. We should reevaluate that, really. And you and I have seen it, you know, where it used to be, wasn't ideal, but we could focus on the kids. And now there's no focus on kids for the sake of making the almighty dollar. Well, that's, they that's liked it. Well, what's happened is schools have become a corporate structure. Yeah. That's how, that's how badly it's become, how badly it's gotten. And where it used to be, now, when you and I first started in that district, it was like one big family. You could you could pop into the superintendent and just stand there and talk jokes. You could talk to him about anything. You could go in. You could talk to anybody in the in the central office. It was not a big. It was not a big place. It was no. almost like a, a four four wide trailer, mm -hmm. you know, mobile home. It was not huge. It wasn't meant to look like a corporate office like it does no. now. It looks exactly like a corporate Now office. when you go in, you have a receptionist who will not let you go back unless yes. you show something. And then you have to have codes in order to get into this exactly. one. Codes to get into that one. What's your purpose? Yeah. Um, you need to wait out here until somebody comes out and gets you. Mm -hmm. And then you go in. And it's like they've been hoarding people. They have packed. When they first moved into this building, people, it was... It was somewhat empty. I mean, it was comfortable to walk around. Mm -hmm. Now you need a map to figure out where people are because there are so many cubicles. There is so much going on in there mm -hmm. and you don't know where anything is anymore and nobody likes each mm -hmm. other. And it's be and I think it was about 15 years ago, maybe almost 20 years ago, my boss looked at me and said, do not go into district office. And I said, why not? And she said, it's toxic. She said, it is not a place you want to walk into. It's gotten just terrible. It's no, don't. <laughs> there you go. So, and yeah, we don't have to follow this model. It doesn't have to be this way. We just think it's, that's the way it is. You get bigger. You got to start doing this stuff and we got to run no. like a business. Now we got to tighten the ship up and, you know, and, and there's literally, it's, 
it, it's, you can see it everywhere. College football, for goodness sakes, the transfer portal, they're playing, they're paying players, paying college football players to transfer to schools. We'll give you 200,000 to play for us. It's like, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, that's insane. That makes no sense. No, it doesn't. It just, it, except if you look at it in the realm of business and it's like, well, yeah, it totally evolved that way. We're talking mm -hmm. big money, but why are we always talking about big money? <laughs> anyway, we were just What's consumed with it in America. Well, it's not bad to have big money. Well, we're consumed with big money. The whole idea of big money is other systems geared toward big money or run by big money. Well, I think America is, is enticed by flash. Oh, yeah. And I even the people think. I know who, who say that they are more socialist and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, they are pumping out everything that is made because of capitalism and they're showing off their new togs, they're showing right. off their new kicks, everything. And they're like, but, mm -hmm. but they're kind of subtle about it, but they're like, yes, this is my, you know, I'm socially liberal, but <laughs> fiscally conservative. And they don't see the, the freaking insane paradox of that. It's like, are you out of your mind? What, <laughs> what? As they push so, it, you know, and I hope we're not insulting anybody in there. But... Into the pool, <laughs> come on. <laughs> it's you know, I just what I want is for the kids to be able to learn, and I want people to be free enough to be able to teach them, because we are professionals. We have our degrees. We know what we're doing, and if we don't, then you need to get out. Well, yeah, and that's and... how you're going to willow out the chaff. The judges as the kid. Yeah, the judge of it had been the kids for the longest period of time. Mm -hmm. We were meeting the standards. I was, yeah, they were quite well-thinking adults when they left my classroom. I, I don't know anymore mm -hmm. <sighs> because I don't know. I don't get to use my standard. And, you know, I, it's their standards. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I just hope these kids come out with Yeah, that they of came up with in a committee meeting and they had yeah, to with the and, classroom. Yeah, because Mil Milton Friedman thinks that that's the way, you know, that's just the way we should have the same curriculum to make them good American kids. It's like, what? No. Talking about community and everything. It's like, I think that's what's no. fracturing here. Anyway. No, actually, standardization came from the business community. So, yeah. Okay. All right. So, we're going to wrap it up. That's and I'm going to say next week we are going to take a look at SEL, social emotional learning. And. There's one thing I forgot to say, Philip. Hmm. All that. Have a great holiday break. Yeah, you do. You do. Thank you. Thank you. And we will see everybody <clears throat> back in two weeks on New Year's Day. Mm, 2023. 2023. Everything will be magically different that day. Yeah. <laughs> Have a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful season. No matter what you do, travel safe, be good, leave us a review, subscribe, and if you like us, recommend us to others and share the link. And we will see you next year. Adios. Yeah. Aloha.